Let us pray. Our precious Father, I want to thank you again for the privilege we have to listen to the word of God. That word on its own heals. That word on its own delivers. That word, that word on its own gives us wisdom. We trust you, Lord, that you cause your word to have entrance into every hearer, that it will penetrate every soul, it will be engrafted in our heart, it will go deep into our spirit so that we produce the desired result. Thank you, faithful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. So we're talking about uh, he healed them all. We, our text is uh, Matthew eight sixteen. So that evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. He healed them all. Let me say something very important, and I want everybody that is really interested, interested in making progress in your Christian life, if you have interest to please God, listen to me. If you want to live your full potential as a Christian, if you want to live in and experience the fullness of God in this your life, before you leave this earth, if you are interested in experiencing the entire range of God's expectation in calling you to himself, then you must, and I mean must, make every effort, number one, to know Christ Jesus and him crucified. Very important. Every effort, you must make it to come to pray about it, ask God to open your eyes. You must come to know Christ and him crucified. Because all God's plans for you in this your life is fully consummated in Christ and fulfilled in him. All of it. Number two, you must make every effort to know the facts, all the facts of salvation. You must know all the facts of redemption. You must go beyond the basics. I'm saved. It's good to know you're saved. Be saved from what? You must go beyond the basics. You can't go far with superficial knowledge or salvation. You can't. To know that you are forgiven is wonderful. But you need to know and be grounded and rooted in all the facts of this salvation and redemption so you can live in the reality of all of them. All of them. The reason I'm saying this is that we live in the last days. There is tremendous opposition by the devil, Satan, Lucifer, and his kingdom to the truth of the gospel. The gospel is singled out for vicious 
attack by demonic world. Because that's the truth of God that saves all who believe it. The devil will contest all the truth in the gospel that you know. He will try to trick you out of your blessings, lay you bare of nothing for one reason, just to take down your faith and mock the gospel and say it doesn't work. He is still the God of this world. We shouldn't forget that. And will try to attack your faith as he did the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, so I prayed for you that your faith does not fail. But when you get up, he said, you go and bring back your brothers. Go and convert them because all of you are going to lose your faith in me. And they did deny him. Look at what the scripture says in Matthew 13, 21. But since they don't have deep roots, that's the trouble. Deep roots. They don't have long. They don't last long. Why? They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The devil will challenge it. Cause trouble, cause trial. The Bible says if you don't have roots, you give up. And I'm telling you, we live in the days of false doctrine, false preaching. The scripture says so. It's an urgent situation. I'm pressing my spirit to talk about this. That even the elect is going to be deceived. And let me say something again. It's not how many scriptures you study, really. It's not, it's not, it's not how many topics you can quote about. It's which one are you deep in? Which one are you grounded in? Rooted it. Because trials will come on that very thing you, you say, you know. We're talking about healing. The devil will try you. So, the reason we do what we do here by the grace of God is because God has helped us to know these things. That's why we focus on salvation, to bring all the ramifications of it. So those who are interested, I'm talking of churchgoers who are looking for group, 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 just wasting their time. I'm talking of people who are interested in the truth, children of wisdom. So they will be grounded and rooted in their salvation. Because everybody is exposed to trials and false doctrines and lies of the devil. We focus on it, and on this Living World Conference, we just took healing to focus on it. If salvation is all you understand very, very well and deeply, you will go far with God. Because everything is it. There's nothing else outside salvation. Everything is salvation, redemption. Everything. The gospel, 
That's it. You know, Pastor Tunde Fasherat was telling me about you know the, the teachings we are doing about you know people who are really not saved. Because they, they came to they think they are saved on works. Because that's what we had. A lot of works and teaching of works. So they think they are saved on what they were told to do. But salvation is not by works. And yet it's being preached. So, you know, we're discussing this. He said, Pastor, you know, I preached this in my church Sunday. I think last Sunday before this one. Also. He said, I explained it. That some of you sitting here are not really saved. Because what you did is works. You can't be saved by works. That's how the devil birches out falsehood. You only saved by grace, based on your faith in what Christ has done. He said, do you know, we had 12 people come to give their life to Christ. And two of them were people in my church who have been here, sitting in front seat for two years. And people, after that, I said, people came to me and said, Pastor, we thought they were Christians. See, they were sitting in front seat, not behind. Two years. They were doing everything. And 12 people. 12. So it's very important, brethren. That's for those who are interested, though. There are people out there that have interest. They come to church, do what they like. I don't know who is their pastor. Tell them who can tell them anything. They're above everybody. I'm not, everybody lives his life by choice. If it works for you, enjoy it. I'm talking of people who are interested, who want to be pastored, who want to be taught, who are lowly in heart. Do you know that Moses, Moses, if you want to know why God said that Moses was a very lowly man in heart, he was the meekest man. You haven't seen miracles until you see what God did with Moses. But the father called him and corrected him. He didn't argue. He didn't say, you, 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 you come and tell me what to do. You know, God speaks to me face to face. The father-in-law told him, he said, what you are doing is wrong. This is how you do it, this is how you do it. Do you know the man didn't argue? He went and did what that man told him, and God blessed that thing immediately. And guess who told him? A hidden man. But his father-in-law. When that man walked in, Moses left everything, went and welcomed him. Because Moses had sent his wife and children to him. He brought them back. He went and he walked out to welcome this man. He didn't sit there and say, well, uh, I'll see him later. No, he went and honored this man. Told him everything God was doing. And the man said, well, you're not doing well in this area. Teachable spirit. When you see God walking in the life of somebody, you listen to Jesus. He said, learn of me, for I am what? Lowly. Then you have peace, have rest. Don't have all this turmoil of heart. Say, watch me. I am lowly. I am meek. I'm pressing my spirit to go this way. So what we're talking about is the law of sin and death. 
and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. On Thursday, I think we dealt with the law of sin and death and touched on the law of spirit of life too, that we didn't really call it that and explain it. So we're going to go through this so we can be deeply rooted in it more because this teaching is new to a lot of people. They never had anything like this before. Some have I've had it, but it's hazy. So we need to go through that. Whatever is worth doing is worth doing well. We're not rushing. Get it done. They say, oh, Pastor, that was awesome. Praise the Lord, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to bring forth the truth and let the Holy Spirit work with it. You remember Jesus preached? They didn't say, hi, Pastor. They dragged him from the pulpit outside. <laughs> said, we don't like your sermon. He went, he went through them and came back. He said, verily, verily, I saw unto you. This is the truth. So you, you really don't preach to impress people or start emotions. You are answerable to one person, God, who searches your heart. You bring out the truth out there. And let the Holy Spirit who gave it walk with it in the house of those who receive it. That's what she was saying. You should receive this thing. The, same, the Spirit is the same. So it's very important that we understand these laws because they operate. They really operate. And it affects Christians. They do operate. Honestly, they do operate. So we, can take, so we can take our stand when the wrong law is being applied by Satan to us. So we can resist it and say, this law does not apply to me. It does not apply to me. And you should know why it doesn't apply to you. Because the devil is still trying to do that. Because the Bible says in the world you will have tribulations. The law of sin and death, Romans 8.2, many years ago, 100 years to 100, this Romans chapter 8, verse 2, they used to call it the Prince of Revelation. Pastors preached on this so much until the church went into theology and they started theology and the Spirit of God left them. And the churches in Europe became only, um, what do you call it? What do you call them? It's um, tourist attraction. All their cathedrals now are just tourist attractions. Being maintained by business groups, taking money from tourists who come in their droves. There's no service, there's no thing going there. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to come and join us and preach junk. If it's not Jesus, he leaves you alone. Used to preach on this Romans chapter. They call the Prince of Revelation. Now, if you want, if you study the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 to 8, man, it's amazing revelation that God gives to Paul about our, our righteousness. I would recommend you really do a personal study of Romans chapter, chapter, Romans chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 to chapter 8. And then beyond that, it's okay. And Galatia. There's tremendous revelation in Romans chapter 8. Incredible revelation in Romans chapter 8. 
No other writer of the Bible wrote about this law of sin and death, except Paul. He said, I had abundance of revelation, and he did. Why? Because he wanted to have it. He prayed for it. He sought it. It was his life desire, and God gave it to him. He paid the price for it. The devil persecuted him everywhere, following him in prison, in jail, everything. He said, none of these things move me. So in this Romans chapter 8, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Basically, the law of, the law of um, sin and death is saying that sin causes death. And that sin demands penalty of death. Sin is the costless thing we know. Because it can only be assuaged by death. And there is no way out of it. Because that's what the Bible calls it, the law of sin and death. It's a law. So we saw that in Romans 18, it says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. He said, the, the body, this body that will finally get old and go, the reason it's, it's getting decayed is because it's a body of sin. That's what causes it. Then it says in the, um, Ezekiel 18, 20, the soul that sin it, it shall die. That's just about it. You can't, you can't, you can't walk away around it. You can't behave yourself into contention about it. For all have sinned. Everybody have sinned. Sin. If you ever sinned, the soul that sinned shall die. That's, that's, that's all there is about it. So the Bible calls it the law of sin and death. Because it's both spiritual death and physical death. Because it separates you from God but also affects your physical being. It's telling us that, hey, this is how dangerous sin is. This is what is done. We, should, we need to understand this so we understand our salvation and appreciate it more. So look at John 5, 14. Some of these things we said yesterday. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well low. So stop sinning. Why? Or something even worse may happen to you. The law of sin and death. He said, this thing will bring you something worse. It may bring you something worse. Sin brings death. That's which sin, the penalty is death. And Adam enthroned this. And this, this law reigned for years. It was the law of the universe from Adam. For centuries, it was in place. And Adam enthroned it. The Bible called him the first Adam. Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world... And death. Because sin kills. Sin demands death. So when sin entered, what followed it? Death. It's automatic, it's a law. 
says, and death by sin, by sin, death by sin. And so death now passed upon all men. I mean, we need to know this way we appreciate our salvation. Otherwise, we think, oh, he died for me. I wouldn't even see what happened, why, and where he, what he saved us from. For, for that all have sinned. Death passed on all men. When you going to come to say, all of a sudden, I'm a very good man, so death, I don't have to die. We're joking. The law says you die. The soul that's in it, that and all have. See, when we don't understand it, we preach the wrong gospel. So we tell people, you know, confess your sin. Do this and do that. Is that what saved you? All have sinned. Death is the answer. A death is what they need to pay for it, all of us. In Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. I mean, like, remember that this was from Adam's time, that this thing was reigning. Reigned. And so he gave Satan the legal right to execute it. Because like we said yesterday, a law is something binding and something that's enforceable. That's why it's a law. And so the devil, being a murderer, a killer, destroyer, got an opportunity and on legal grounds. Do you know that the devil took over this world on legal grounds? It was on legal grounds. He told Jesus so. He said, all the kingdom of this world was given to me. <laughs> I mean, it was handed over to me. He, read your Bible, he said, it was given to me. He said, for if you now worship me, I will now give it to you. But it was given to me. So on legal grounds, he showed up. In Hebrew 2, 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death. See? The soul that's in it must die through death. That death must take place. Must take place through death. He might destroy him now that had the power of death. He had the power of death. He had the power of death. He had it, but when Jesus died, he lost it because death has taken place. There's no more penalty for sin. Death has taken place on our behalf. So he had the power of death. That, that is the devil, 15, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, before Jesus came to do this, people were subject to fear and bondage because there's no answer to this thing except to pay the price for it. And remember, like I said, remember how many years this thing was in effect from Adam. You know how many years between Adam and Moses? I don't know any of you knows. But it's a long time. You will never know how many years Adam lived before he died. And then Abraham came. And then Moses came. So at the time of Moses, God put an end to this thing. In Romans 5.40, nevertheless, they reigned from 
Adam to Moses. So quit me, at the time of Moses, that date, God did something that stopped sin from demanding death. So that people can now be free because they were afraid. So God revealed to mankind that the answer to this thing is really dead too. But I will tell you how you can do it. And you'll be free. Let me show you what you don't know. God said, I'll show you greater and mighty things which you don't know. So in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. God is telling people, the life of the flesh is where? Let me hear you. In the blood. That's God is telling us. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. God is saying, if you want to switch sin, there has to be death. But I'm giving you a way out. If you shed the blood on your behalf, that death will not touch you again. That's an exchange there. They didn't know this before. Do you know, God is amazing. Let me read it, New Living Translation. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar. So you have to breathe it to the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Makes purification possible. That's why the gospel, you can't be saved by works. Works does not make purification possible. You cannot be saved by works. It doesn't make purification possible. You are saved by the life that is given in exchange for your own life. The blood that was given in exchange for your own life on the altar is what makes purification what? Possible. If we don't understand these basic and fundamentals, we'll never understand the gospel. We'll still be arguing up and down, thinking we're good. So now God now instructed Israel, said to them, use the blood. And this dead thing can't touch you. Use it. And they did. In Exodus 12, 13, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. Put it as a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. Destruction is ended for you. When I smite the land of Egypt, they told you God will be in the house. Don't go mix it, don't leave this house and go to the Egyptians. That applies to us today too. And I'm going to mention it as we go on if I have the time. Don't, don't leave this house and go to the house of Egyptians too. It won't work. You've got to stay where I told you. Stay in this house. Stay in Christ. Don't sneak out and be, and be hanging out and living with, like prodigal son, living with the Egyptians. Don't do that. And so they were protected for a long time. That's the law of sin and death, and we saw how God temporarily really stopped it for Israel. For Israel, but not for the whole world. Israel, 
his covenant people, the people he gave the law. Because he was executing his covenant with Abraham. You remember when Jesus came, he focused his ministry on the Jews. Because the ministry to the whole world had not been opened up until the cross. That's why when the woman came for healing, he said, this is the children's bread now. I can't give you what belongs to this people. It's a covenant thing. The woman said, well, it's okay. The crumb can heal me. Jesus said, you know, well, you're right. So you can eat crumb. What you're taking is not your right, but crumb can heal you. And crumb healed her. Because the woman was, made her argument before God. The crumbs, yeah, I, I'm not eating what belongs to your children, but they are not eating all of it. Let me have the crumb. And Jesus said, that's right. You can eat crumb, and crumb will heal you. So the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a New Testament law which never existed before Jesus came. It didn't exist in the time of Moses. It existed. So that everybody who now believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved from the plague and the avenger. It's now thrown open by faith in Christ. So the scripture says that Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. In Romans 8.2. For the law of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. Has made me free. Has made me what? Free. Let me hear you. Has made me what? Free. From the law of sin and death, which means sin demands death, penalty of death, causes death. That's the law. And then when Jesus came, the Bible said that the new law that Jesus put in place that set me free from this law. This law is true. Yeah. The soul that sinned has died. Sin produces death, but no more for me. Jesus set it aside. Can I hear amen? He set it aside and set us free from it. Remember this law was raining from Adam to Moses for years, man. But when Christ came, he dismantled it and set up a new law called the law of life. In Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be set free? We are no more under the oppression of the penalty of sin and the devil. No more. No legal rights to the devil to execute. That is death. That is plague. That is sickness. That whatever. Sickness is death in progress. Somebody called sickness baby death. He says the baby death growing. Is sickness it's death in progress. If you don't stop it, it finally takes your life. So sickness and death are the same ten and tempest. So we're set free from the op- oppression and, and the penalty of sin is death. Jesus set us free from it by the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. So what, that, what works now is that if you have Christ, you have what? Life. If you have Christ, what do you have? Life. 
If you have Christ, what do you have? Life. That's a law. And you must know it's a law so that nobody can talk you out of it. You must know it's a law so that nobody can talk you out of it. That, hey, I have life. It's a law. If I have Christ, I have life. That's why it's called the spirit, the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. Once you have Christ, there's a law that says you have life. And that life dismantles death. First of all, his blood stopped all the things that, you know, the, the blood of animals stopped that. The blood of Jesus did a greater work. It stopped, the they stopped, paid for our sins, did everything to stop. No more, no more plague, nothing. Not just for Israel, but for the whole world who will accept Christ. Hebrew 9.15. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant. It's a new covenant. He mediates it. A mediator is somebody who settles something, who guarantees something. We know what it means to guarantee something. It's to say, if he can't pay, I will what? I couldn't pay, I he paid. That's it. He still, he still guarantee for me. If you can't pay with life, I'll pay with my life for him. And he did. Now, if you, if you bought the house and I guaranteed you and you couldn't pay, and I paid, are you owing? Ah, you can't, you don't understand. Okay, I forgive you, many of you never own the house. But okay, let me say if you own a shit. Okay, many of you don't have a shit. What will I use now? Okay, if you, have, if you buy banana, and you can't pay, and we went to, um, where do they go, home market, and I guarantee you, if I pay for that banana, will you take it away? I'm asking. Are you owing? Jesus guarantees you life. He said, if you can't pay with his life, I will pay with my life for him. And he paid. Tell me what you are owing. Talk to me, church. Talk to me. What are you owing? So this, when, when you paid, when he paid for my life with his life, and sin comes and says, the wages of sin is dead. He said he paid the wages, my friend. I'm not owing you anything. I don't know if you got what I said. He paid the wages. I'm not owing you what? The law of sin and death stops. Can't work in. Because your wages have been fully paid. If you understand, they shout hallelujah. He guarantees it. He mediated it. If you be, if you be brought the house and you couldn't pay, a pastor comes along and says, Obi, you know, I love you. Let me sign guarantor form for you. Hey, you'll be so happy. Then after one year, you are falling back on payment and you call me, Pastor, I can't pay. And I say, hey, let me write a check now. Pay them off. May, you'll be calling Pastor Victor for Thanksgiving because you don't owe them. You know, you start telling friends, man, my, my, my mortgage is fully paid. They say, wow, so you won't be making monthly payments. No, I can't. I won't have already. Pastor paid for me, so no more monthly payments. Now, if the bank comes to you and says, hey, pay, what do you tell them? I'm owing you nothing. Get out of here. This house belongs to me. The devil comes, you pay with your life. Say, devil, you're joking. Paid in full. All that demand of death and sickness, you can't bring it here. 
He paid in full. If you get a shout, hallelujah. So he said in Hebrew 9.50, that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive their entire inheritance God is paid for. Their internal inheritance God has, that God has promised them for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of their sins they had committed under the first covenant. You know what, what, what it means under the first covenant? It was under the first covenant that sin was defined. The Bible said, by the, knowledge, by the law is the knowledge of sin. He, he, he paid it and then freed us from the penalty. When he freed us from the penalty, he freed us from the law of sin and death with his life. With his life. With his life. Can I hear amen? But I'd like to hear your, let the world know you're here. Can I hear amen? Yes. Sin is forgiven. He paid for it. And so God had to forgive it. Even God forgave. Acts 13, 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Do you think the church preaches forgiveness of sins? They don't. You know what they preach? Judgment. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so disheartening that people who say they have the love of God cannot even give people the privilege to enjoy forgiveness of sins that God gave them. They want God to punish them. They say, after all he did. So is it just like that? What else? <laughs> Here they say, God did this thing to him. They say, what about the sins they are committing? All they want is God punish them. What kind of heart is that? He's not happy that God is forgiving people their sins. I'm telling you. So when they say, you know, give your life to Christ, they say, come here, confess all your sins. You have to. Why? Because in their heart they say, no, you can't go free, my friend. Say it. The Bible says, no. No. The sacrifice on the altar purifies you. It's nothing you do that purifies you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's the blood that paid for your life. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Forgiving. Preach is announcing. It's announcing. It's an, the blood was shed for the whole world. But we're afraid to announce it because we want God to punish them. We're wishing secretly that they say, you know, something to happen to him. Can he just forgive you? Forgive you, say like that. Yeah? Because we don't forgive people, so we think that God is like us. Oh, we don't forgive. Because we think, ah, and you know, we came from this culture of do me, I do you, God no go vex. 
So we think that God is like that. The love of God is beyond human understanding. Beyond human understanding. Amazing grace. When you, if you understand, you will, you will never come in contact with revelation of grace and it doesn't break your emotions. It will break you down. It will break you down. But declaring forgiveness of sins and by him all that believe are justified. <laughs> they are no more guilty. Justified is no more guilty. Somebody paid for them. They are free. If the son shall set you free, you are free indeed. You don't owe anything. They are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the Lord. Almost, ah, pastor, ah, what of this and what of that? Say what God said. Leave it with the Holy Spirit. You are you better than anybody? We can't. Pro- it's so heavy. In- all my years as a Christian, I know how we what where it was announced. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You can come to the altar and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sins are gone. Come, come, come. They were telling the whole world. Jesus said, go and preach forgiveness of sins in my name. That's what he commanded us to do. Oh, no, but we can't preach it. Why? Ah, these people, forgive them for where? The blood has already been shed for all of them. God is in Christ, not imputing iniquity, but what? Canceling them. Why is he not imputing it? He said, because he made Christ to be seen. Who knew no sin, so that we can become righteousness. You see, that's the thing. Christ already became sin, took our place. So why, what are they supposed to do? Just come to Christ. Say, I'm pleading with you, come. Come and be reconciled to me. I'm not running away from you. I'm not holding you on what you did. Fully paid for. I challenge you to show me where the church is preaching forgiveness of sin. Show me where. Where they're declaring it. If you've had it, show me. I want to hear. But Jesus said, you go preach forgiveness of sin. In my name. And here they said, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Remember Leviticus? Let's go back and read Leviticus 17 again. Leviticus 17 again, verse 11. It says, for the life of the flesh. Let me read New Living Translation so we can save time. It says, for the life of the body is where? It is blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you. Nothing else purifies. Making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Paul said, I preach to them so they'll receive forgiveness of sin and sanctification, which is by faith in Christ. 
Hebrew 9.22. Are, are, are we doing okay? Are we in scripture? Are, have we gone outside of scripture? If we're in scripture, say amen. Let's go together. I, I will introduce Jesus to you today. I will. <laughs> when we get there, I will introduce him to you. Hebrew 9.22. And almost all things are by the Lord poured with blood. Almost all things are poured with blood. And without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. If you like, cry and fast. If you like, claim you are good. Whatever you want to claim, claim that your sin will not be remitted. Except blood is what? Shit. Because sin demands death. And somebody has to pay for it. And Jesus paid for me. He paid for you. So the Bible says in Hebrew 9.11, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. Remember the blood with the altar in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. Verse 12, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. You know what redemption means? Paying something to bring you out of your trouble. If, I, if, I'm, if, I'm, if you are owing me, so if I gave you something you can't pay, if you want to, if, no, if, if I come and take your property, if you want to redeem your property, you come and pay me. So you redeem your property. So he paid and redeemed us from penalty of sin and it redeemed us, set us free. And the Bible says forever. Ephesians 1, 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with, his, with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Forgave his past tense. I think I read English a little bit. His past tense. In this country, you know, they don't observe tenses. They don't observe tenses. So. Huh, I hear a lot of <laughs> grammatical or anything. You know, they speak here. Thank God uh, it's their country. They don't observe thesis. No. Anything goes. But here it says, forgive our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with, with all wisdom and understanding. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, 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 through faith in his blood. Through faith in his blood, the atonement paid for it. And to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Just reading all these things so that we are grounded in knowing that you've been delivered from the Lord of sin and death. And you are free from it. Praise the Lord. Colossians 2.13. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not put away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. 
In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He took it away through the death on the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He disarmed all of them because they don't have anything anymore to claim. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, secondly, he gave us this marvelous gift of his life. You know the life that we had? is Zoe. You know, you know what Zoe means? It's the life that is in God. That's the life our spirit has. Our spirit was made to be like God. Our spirit was made in the nature of God Almighty. The life Jesus gave us is Zoe. Z-O-E. The life that is in God. That's the life that is in your spirit. The Bible says we are created to be like God. That we have the nature of God in true righteousness and true holiness. So he gave us this marvelous gift of his life. The life of God created us in the very nature of God. In place of death, we now have life and have it more abundantly. Sin in us was causing death. That sin in us, listen to this, was evicted. Jesus did what? Evicted the cause and the source of sin in us that drew death and drew sickness. Jesus came and evicted it out of you. There was forceful eviction. And in place of that, he planted this life. If you heard me shout hallelujah. hallelujah. There was forceful what? Eviction of the thing that causes it. The thing that was attracting all that work of sin and all that vengeance for sin and all that. Jesus came and evicted it from your spirit. Colossians 2.11 When you came to Christ, you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual what? What did he do? He cut off something. There was an eviction process. He cut off something. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away of your sinful nature. The major source of sin in our life was cut off. And when he cut it off, he said, for, nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life. Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. So when God cut off the sinful nature, he gave us a new life. So the Lord of life, spirit of life in Christ Jesus, says that anybody who has Christ has a new life. If you have Christ, you have a new life. The source of sin, the sin in your life that was activating the Lord of sin and death was forcefully what? Evicted. 
And in place of it, Christ planted the spirit, embedded his life in your spirit, intertwined himself with you. And what is flowing out of you now is his life. No more death. 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 Can I hear amen? And he said, Lord, if I have Christ, I don't have death in me. I have life in me. It's called a law. It's a law. John 5, 26. For as the Father had life in himself, so he had given to the Son to have life in himself. 1 John 5, 12. He that had the Son had life. He that had not the Son of God had not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So when a man comes, when a man's spirit comes in contact with Christ, what does he come in contact with? He comes in contact with the source of life. When Christ evicted that sinful nature from you, planted himself, in you was the source of life, living. Life was surging from him, because he's the source of life. Limitless life was, is always surging from him. So what we have is not just life, but a life that surges and continues flowing and continues producing and continues moving. You have the source of life in you. You have the source of life in you. And who is the source of life? Christ Jesus. Because it's God. So the, the amount of life in me, the Holy Spirit said, you have it more abundantly. It's surging. It's, it's not a trickle. It's surging. I mean, I want you to imagine that in you. He says it's abundant. It's, so, it's not, no, no. It's, you, you have the source of life and it is flowing, it's overflowing and in abundance inside of you. So what did we see Jesus do? He healed what? I didn't hear, hear you. He did what? Let me ask you a question. Is the Jesus in you different from the one that healed them all? So when he's in you, what is he doing in you? He heals you, God. Is that life in you? Is it different from the one you read about in the Bible? Is it not the same Jesus? Is it not the same Jesus? I'm asking, is it not the same Jesus? Where is that same Jesus right now? What is he doing? He's surging life and healing me all from head to toe. He healed them all. We saw it in his physical life. In the spirit life, he's still healing them all. He hasn't changed. He's not, taking, he's, not, he's not taking residence because he's looking for accommodation. He built you as a place of his residence. Not made with human hand. He planned this thing before you were born. That I will live in them, I walk in them, and what is he doing in them? He said, I'll give them life. I'll give them life more abundantly. Quick means... Healing, the same power that was healing them all is surging through you, surging in abundance. It's not in trickle. It's surging and surging and surging. Okay. 
out of you will flow rivers of living water. Source of life is in you. It's surging. God does not do little things. Abundantly above all you can imagine. The surge of this life is incredible. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Paul said, oh God, open their eyes. They will know the greatness of life they have. The greatness of the spirit they have. The mightiness of God that is in them. First Corinthians 6, 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. Man, one spirit with him. Not two. Joint. One. The life is surging through your spirit. One. One. I said you can't make progress sufficiently in Christianity unless you understand in details all the aspects of your redemption and salvation. Otherwise it will limit you. Romans 8, 11. See what this life does. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? That it is saying how powerful that thing is. That it was the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Not another. Not another. It has such power. It raised Christ from the dead. He said that spirit is the one living in you. Source of life. Source of life. Can you imagine and wake up and say, Lord, I mean, I'm there. I carry the source of life in me. It's amazing. And you worship him. I say, Lord, this is amazing. I'm carrying the source of life. Woohoo! Who is sick? I need to lay my hands on them. Oh, we don't let us on the sea because we don't know the surge that is in us. So our knowledge of salvation, my pastor said, he said the knowledge of salvation in the church is shallow. That's why we're looking for people to pray for us. Join these people. Pray here, pray, pray, pray. Come on, man. <laughs> we don't need all of that. You don't have confidence in yourself because you don't know your relationship with God because those who know their God, they shall be what? Strong and they will do exploit. You don't know your God, that's your problem. You, you don't know who you are. You are carrying source of life. Come on. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the law of the spirit of life in Christ is working in you. Don't you know that it's a law? He says, I'm telling you this so you will know and continue to believe that you have it. Because they want to talk you out of it. Oh, Sunday. Oh, Sunday. God gave me something to preach. I never saw it before. I'm not kidding. And it's a place I read all the time. You read it, but on Sunday I'll show you what it is. Say, that's the church. If you see how we behave, we succumb to anything. You're asking, where is the surgeon river now? Does he know he's there? Has he ever acknowledged it before? Has he ever lifted his hands and thanked God for what he has? How can he walk? 
where it's not acknowledged, it's not recognized. Because his knowledge of salvation is shallow. Very shallow. Let me finish it. It says, the, the, spirit, the, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as like God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. That same spirit is surging life into your mortal bodies. Let me read TPT. TPT verse 11. It says, yes, God raised Jesus to life, and since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes, 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 breathes into you. Breathes in, is breathing into. How did God create the earth? How did he create Adam and Eve? He breathed into them. When you talk about the breath of God, you're talking about life. He breathed into them. And Adam became a living soul. In the New Testament, how was the new creation started? Jesus breathed into the disciples. The Bible says he breathed into them. So he received you, the Spirit. That's not baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when the new life started in them. Because God creates, creates when God creates, brings life with breath. When he created Adam, he breathed into him. In the new creation, Jesus breathed into them. Why? Jesus is the source of life. He breathed into them. So he received you, the Spirit of life. They had life. They became new creatures. And since then, once you have Christ, that life comes into you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Are you excited? Man, I feel like jumping out of here. It's amazing, I'm telling you. Look at at what that life Look at what that life does. Look look at what that life does in Acts chapter 28. Let us even read this. This is the brother, a Christian like us. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy. So they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. And Paul gathered a handful of sticks and was laying them on the fire. A poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, beat him on the hand. Poisonous snake beat him. But Paul had a surge of life. Poisonous snake could not stand the power that raised Christ from the dead. Couldn't stand it. That poison died right there. Died right there. Because a law, he says a law. You have Christ, you have that life. You have that source of life. It's surging. It's, it's, it's flowing. And poisonous, poison what? Poison, poison what? It immediately came in contact with the body of Paul. All the power of that poison, pure, destroyed. Destroyed. Nothing shall by any means hurt. Destroyed. All of it. And Paul didn't need to do anything. <laughs> what did he do? Because the thing is flowing. He knew who he was. He knew what he had. He knew who was in him. Peter said, such as I have, I give you. So have I give you. Verse 4. So the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, Ha! Ah, this man is a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, 
justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was on hand in quietness and confidence. You shall come back. That's what God said. There's a rest of God for people of God. He that believes it does not walk. He said, he said, if you have believed, you entered his what? Rest. Because the work is done. His life has been put there. So Paul had nothing to do except rest. Except rest. Let me ask you, when Jesus gave them few fish and bread, to give to the disciples. What else did they do? Huh? He went and sat down. If you want to see God at work, allow him walk. Sit down. Enter his rest. And watch his labor. Paul entered his rest relaxed. Because he said, I know in whom I have. Faith is demonstration, demonstrated by confidence, quietness, and rest. Not to moil and run all over the place. Because the work is finished. He knew who was there. He knew the life he had. So the people waited for him to swell and suddenly dropped it. But when they had waited a long time, the person died the first second. <laughs> he died the first second. They a long time and saw that he wasn't hurt. They changed their mind and decided he was a god. Mark 16, 18. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, what will happen? Read it with me. Let's read it. One, two, go. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, what will happen? And they shall lay hands on the sick. And what will happen? You know we have such surge of power, such surge of life, such abundant life that even affects people we touch. It affects people you touch. I'm not kidding you. Listen, when I was living in Queen's College, my wife would tell you, two men, one, in fact, three people, two men and one woman, one came to me and said, come, who are you? I said, they will live here. He said, every time I pass by you, there is this thing of joy that comes out of you and touches me. He said, who are you? And I told him. Another person living with us called me and said, every time I pass by you, there is this joy. It comes out of you and touches me. Then I went to somewhere. I was um, doing my thing. One woman selling banana. He said, sir, come. He said, are you a Christian? I said, by the grace of God, I'm a Christian. I said, why are you asking? He said, you came around here. Something from you was touching me. He said, look. I was in a hotel in Lagos. I in the morning, just coming to check something. One woman there was looking at me. After that, he came near. He said, sir, are you a pastor? I said, why are you asking? He said, there's something from you touching me. He said, something about you. All of us have the presence of Jesus. It's not limited to you. It's given to you to help humanity. You lay hands on the sick. The power, same power, that same power you have, heals them. If he heals them through you, what does it do to you? Answer me. What does it do to your own body? The husband man, the laborate, his first partaker, 
of the fruit. He heals you too. If you touch people and can heal them, they will heal you too. So Paul was praying that we should know, that we should understand this power in us, the ability it has, the new life we have, what it can do. Man, what it can do. The Christian is a peculiar human being. He's a spirit human being. He's not a regular, normal human being. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Let me introduce Jesus to you. you. Want to hear his introduction? Ladies and gentlemen, can I introduce Jesus to you? Yes. Let me do that. Put up 1 Corinthians 15, 45 for me. I mean 15, 45, yes. Or oh, you don't have it on your screen? I have it here, I can read it. The scripture tells us the first Adam became a what? Living person. Ladies and gentlemen, meet my Lord Jesus Christ. Let me introduce him properly. But the last Adam is Christ. It's a life-giving spirit. That's Jesus. It's a life, what? Giving spirit. Which means he's the source of life. And he lives in you. Giving life to you. The Lord of spirit of life in Christ says because it's a life-giving spirit, he gives life to you. Gives life to your mother, but gives life to people you touch. You know, one of our brothers, then in Agoda, were living in the house. The landlord told him to pack out. And the boy said, why? He said, since you moved in here, all my juju doesn't work and my customers are left. So please go with your, don't pay rent, go. And the boy said, I'm not leaving because I'm not owing you. So the man packed his things and left. So the tenant became my Lord. <laughs> not, not that he took over the house, but the man said, my business is no more working. If you are not going, I need to go because I need to maintain my source of income. So the man re- relocated and left Brother Brown there. You don't know the power you have. It's a life-giving spirit. Death does not walk around you. The life-giving spirit. In Ephesians 1.18, see what we're called for. I pray that... Can you take some more? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You guys are awesome. So Ephesians 1.18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand. So you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. So you understand the expectation God has. When he called confident hope, confident expectation. Confident expectation to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Confident hope of his calling. What he called us to enjoy. Verse 19, I also pray that we'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
in the heavenly reign. We must live in the consciousness of this law. You can't be shallow in your understanding of your redemption and salvation. You must live in the consciousness of this law. You must. It's important to acknowledge it and understand that I have this surging source of life in me, surging life in me. The spirit that raised Christ, the power is so powerful that it raised Christ from the dead. And it's in me. You must live with that consciousness. It must be grafted into your heart. It must be written in your soul. Branded in your minds. That's why you have overcome this world. Because the greater one. Listen. I like this translation. I said the world doesn't have anything that can take you down. Nothing. You lie under sick. They shall recover. You drink any deadly thing. It does not hurt you. I want you to listen to me. Let me make this statement here. And now. Please listen to me. All of you in the booth, listen. Don't miss this one. God has put his power at the disposal of his children. You never heard this before. God has put his power at the disposal of what? His children. It's incredible, but he did. Because why? We're held with God. Everything he has is our own. He put his power at your disposal. He put it at your disposal. So how do you know? Well, because the Bible teaches us some things. Through the use of name, the name of Jesus, you exercise the power of God to destroy evil. That power, when you call the name of Jesus and things happen, is it not the power of God that is being manifested? God put his power at our disposal to use it according to his will. Well, okay, the name of Jesus, every knee. You bring that to bear. Now, he gave us his power at our disposal. So when you speak his word, you can create with it. And God creates, you can create with it. The power that performs the word you speak, is it not the power of God? Who, who speaks it? You. And God puts his power at your disposal. He put his power at our disposal so that you lay hands on the sick, that same power in you is at your disposal. You lay hands on the sick, and then what will happen? God put his power at our disposal. We are heirs of God. Everything has his, his power, he put it at our disposal. Incredible. Totally incredible. He said, hey, whatever you disallow on earth, what? Put his power at our disposal. Give us the key of the kingdom. So you grant it. This kingdom, you're my children. Go ahead, run it. You, 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 look, you exercise the power of God when you speak his word. You exercise it when you rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. You exercise it when you pronounce, pronounce things into being. Which other power does it? Is it not the power of God that does all this? So I'm telling you this evening that your father put his power, what? At your disposal. So you can use the name of Jesus and destroy the works of Satan. And you can use the word of God and build what is the will of God. Change things. Change things. I mean change things. And because we do not know who is in us, even the greatness of this power, we don't use it. 
Let me deal with this one. That'll be the last one I'll deal with. So, I don't, so you can come here tomorrow. Praise the Lord. I want to talk of the faith wrecker. You need to listen to this one. He wrecks people's faith in the devil's choices weapon. I've not seen anything that works like this because many Christians are, are victims of this thing. It's a terrible, dangerous thing. As simple as it looks, but it has wrecked the faith of many people. And that is is a sense of unworthiness. A sense of what? Unworthiness. It's a sense of unworthiness. And a sense of unrighteousness. I'm telling you, I had to fight. This thing was a major issue for me personally. And every single time you want to pray, the devil will fight you there because he knows that if he gets you to have this sense of unworthiness, your faith is out the window at that instant. Why do you think many people don't have faith in their prayer? They feel unworthy. They feel unaccepted. They feel unrighteous. It is happening in many... Why do people, they want to depend on this person. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy. They, they feel unrighteous before God. And the devil is good at accusing you and me to create that sense of unworthiness and fear. And if you succeed, all this thing I'm teaching, you will never deploy them. You will never. Just forget it. It's the devil's choice of weapon, accusation, to make you feel unworthy. And one of the reasons we do not experience this great power, all this life in us, apart from being ignorant of it, is that this sense of unworthiness and the sense of unrighteousness. That's the major reason. People never get healed. Or they say, oh, I'm, I, uh, Oh, I'm the righteousness of God, but it's a mental accent. They don't believe it. A sense of unworthiness, listen to me, is a denial of the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross for you. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you, so you become righteous. When you deny that that now you're righteous, you are denying the substitutionary work that Christ did for you on the cross. Case over. This sense of unworthiness and the sense of unrighteousness is a complete denial of your standing with God, your Father. Complete denial of that. You deny the blood that was shed and brought to the altar to make you clean. You say, it didn't make me clean. Clean for what? It didn't make me clean. You're denying it. 
So we must receive this gift of righteousness so you can reign over sin and reign over the devil, reign over sickness. And the devil is going around accusing believers. Accusing believers left, right, and center to make them give up their sense of righteousness and worthiness so he can ruin their lives. You can't have faith if that is what you're doing. It will weaken you spiritually. Oh, you can be coming to church and doing everything, but when you go home, you are crying. And you're tired. You don't know who to talk to. It weighs you down. If you hear they are praying here, you put your name. Because you don't have any sense of worthiness before God, that you can go before God and God will listen to you. It brings hopelessness. What's wrong with your prayer? My sister called me and said, brother, he said they could, in London, they now go with cards, business cards for prayer. He said they brought it to my house. And they were telling me, ah, I'm teaching that you need to, this one, ah, that's power. He said that. I told her, I said, what is wrong with my prayer? And they said, no, you don't understand. No, you don't understand me. What is wrong with my own prayer? That's what I'm asking you, people. He said, brother, I ran them out of my house. He said, they're business cards now. I ran them out. I said, go, 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 go. I'm not quarreling with God. He's my father. And he answers me. He promised me that. I don't, if you answer that man, God is no respecter of, uh, but he said, I drew them out of my house. Sense of unworthiness. He's wrecking people. I'm not kidding you. The people don't recognize that that's what's happening because the devil is quietly accusing them in their heart talking to them quietly in their mind, convincing them they are unrighteous, they are unworthy. And you have a lot of people preaching it too. How can they be righteous? How can? What of this? What of this? What of this? The blood on the altar purifies you. What about that? Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. All upon all who believe receive the gift of righteousness. For there is no difference for all have sinned for short of the glory of God being justified freely now by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When you lose your sins of worthiness in Christ, your sense of righteousness, you lose all grounds for faith because you cannot exercise faith under condemnation. It's not going to happen. And it opens the door to fear. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for them which are, where? Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You can't walk after the flesh and not. If you walk after the flesh, you'll be condemned. Because walking after the flesh is you are walking by sight, walking by your natural senses. Walk after the spirit, you walk by faith. If you walk under the flesh, you come under condemnation. You will accept condemnation very, very easily. So you must daily decide whether you are walking after the flesh or are walking under the spirit. It's your choice. 
Romans 8.31. Let's, let's walk together and destroy this condemnation, can we? Are we in agreement? Let's gang up against it now and fight it and do what? Tear it to shreds. If you agree, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Yeah, let, let me read this. Let's let, let go to battle right here. Romans 8.31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be what? Against us. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us or us up, wouldn't he also give us everything else? Why am I not feeling worthy to receive it? 33. Who dares accuse us? Whom God, whom God had chosen for his own. Why do you listen to devil's accusation? Say, who dares to do that? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. 34. Who then will condemn us? He says, no one, for Christ Jesus died for us. I was raised to life for us. And he's sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us now from this love of Christ? Who does accuse you? Who does condemn you? John 3, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus to condemn nobody. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 3. I speak not this to condemn you. So I don't speak to condemn you. Any verse of condemnation and accusation, you know whose verse is it then? Whose verse is that? The devil. What is he trying to do? To make you feel unworthy, make you reject your righteousness, which Christ died to bring you? I'll, finish, I'll read this scripture and I'm done. This one more scripture, Romans 5.15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. Adam's sin led to condemnation. So if you accept condemnation, you are drawing yourself back to the law of sin and death. That's why you're hating. And the devil will finish you. You are drawing yourself. You chose it. He says, Adam's sin brings sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Can I hear a big amen? I want us to pray.